This is Let's Keep It Real with Sandy Joy Weston, your weekly dose of positivity with awesome stories and guests from all over the world. It's an opportunity to learn some great new things and expand your mind. We'll tackle topics from all areas of life, and as always with Sandy, the sky's the limit. This episode is brought to you by, woohoo, I love this company, Keep Botanicals. Keep Botanicals is a 100% plant-based brand. They are women-owned and proudly formulate clean treatments for the face, body, and hair. Keep was founded by Lisa Brill. I love that woman because of her own challenges with her thyroid and autoimmune disease. Every day, they make fresh batches of products in their California and Wisconsin skin studios. It's small batch from scratch, and it's fresh from their studios to your doorstep. Shop online at KeepBotanicals.com or pop into one of their studios. I promise you're going to love it. Today's awesome and inspiring guest is Justin Lafazan. I hope I got it right because you never know with me, but I know for sure his name is Justin. <laughs> and Justin is the co-founder of, oh, I love this organization, Next Gen Summit, which I did not know this, a 5,000 plus member community of talented young entrepreneurs. And I can vouch for that myself. I love those kids. He is also the author, which he kept secret for me. I did not know that, especially he has to find out, guess what, everybody, today, my second book was due Friday. I'm turning it in today. It's done. I reached my deadline. So I know what it's like to be an author. And he has a book out, which I definitely have to read. What wakes you up? Ooh, I like. It came out in December 2015. So recent. And also, I know so many people try to get on TED Talks, and look at this guy has been on four times. He's been a TEDx speaker. Got to be kidding me. And he's oh, and he's a senior, which he's got to run out for class. So we're going to get it all in quick and easy at the Wharton School, at the University of Pennsylvania. Justin, how are you? Andy, thanks so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to talking to you today. It's going to be so much fun. I have like a million, a million questions to ask you. So it's actually good that you have to go off to class because I would just keep you here forever. So, <laughs> but I mean, the thing I want to do today, because what, just so you don't, I don't know if you know this about the podcast, besides, you know, getting in and down and dirty with your journey, we also want like little tidbits that can take with them about being an entrepreneur and starting your business because that's your expertise. But what the freak? Let's just get this out there. Four times you were on TEDx? What? <laughs> just start when you were four. Sandy, I, I appreciate it. It was really fun. A lot of those were, were just so, so great, um, really cool opportunities. I think I realized for a really long time that I wanted to be a professional speaker. And probably the earliest tidbit of professional advice I got was to reverse engineer anything that you want to do, go find other people that are already doing it, ask them how they did it, just so you can have a little bit of a roadmap and then add your own twist to it. So I realized early on that when I wanted to be a speaker, a really important milestone that I would need to achieve is getting recognized on the TEDx stage. So I went pretty hard at that um, and uh, spoke once. The talk got really great reception, started to be invited from there, and, and then it was a bit of a snowball effect. I haven't had one in about a year or so, so uh, I am now focusing really hard on just building the business and sticking off speaking just for a minute. Uh, but they were really, really fun, and I had a blast. You want to know something? You know how like, someone says something to you and go, that makes sense. Why didn't I think of that? Well, I'm sitting here and I do a ton of speaking engagements. And you have to understand, I started 
before TEDx came out. So that's maybe not my mindset, but not that I haven't gone after them, but I never even thought I really should go after them for speaking engagements. But you're right. You're right. Because once you get on there, it probably opened the doors to so many things. Yeah, a lot of the times when you speak once, uh, if you do a really good job, someone in the audience will be pretty inspired and they'll represent an organization or a company or a college and they'll say, hey, this is really great. Can we bring this to my university? Well, um, I just put this in big letters. I don't think we really came in to talk about you. I am now going to apply to TEDx talks. (laughs) I love it, Sandy. Best of luck. They'll be lucky to have you. No, it's funny because I'm like, oh, yeah, he's right. But let's get back into that about you because – you're saying like that whatever you want to do, learn from people. And, and it sounds so simple, but a lot of us don't do that. We go chasing our tail, but learn from the people that have done it. I mean, that's a big thing, right? Yeah, it was really the birth of my entire organization. When I was getting started as a young entrepreneur, all I wanted to do was meet other young founders who are in the trenches with me, who are learning, or maybe a step or two ahead of me, so I can see what they're doing, learn from their mistakes, and and have them coach me and teach me, as well as learn from folks who are way uh, older and more experienced than I was on the trials and tribulations of their own journey. So I just started to surround myself with really inspiring entrepreneurs who I can rub shoulders with and, and hopefully absorb some of their expertise. And uh, five years later, that is next gen. You know what? It's amazing that you knew that at such a young age, because so many people, and I never understood this, they're so scared of the competition and sharing knowledge that they isolate themselves out. And I never understood that because you can't take away who you are and how you deliver it to the world And I just think it makes you bigger to unite with other like-minded people. I mean, I I don't even know how you understood that at such a young age. Like, where did you get that? One of the first talks I I gave was titled uh, Collaboration Over Competition, The New Way to Work. Because I do believe that the economy has totally shifted and it's a different world we live in where we can't be competing, isolating, staying small. Um, That's just not the reality anymore. Because the world's so interconnected, because of technology and social media, uh, the thing that's really authentic is is collaboration, is partnership, is knowledge sharing. Well, what made you think that? Like, all right, let's back up because you know I know your ma and I love that woman, Sandra. So how, like, did you get raised like this? I mean, like, what, what made you even think like that? Yeah, I have the most amazing parents, Sandy. Uh, my mom loves you. Reminds me a lot. Uh, uh, you guys are so similar. It's so funny. Um, I have the most amazingly supportive parents. And while they were not, not entrepreneurs themselves, um, they faced their own struggles professionally. But they always encouraged my brothers and I, I have an older brother, a younger brother, or equally ambitious, um, to just give it a shot. Uh, just not be afraid of, of failing, not be afraid of taking risks, and uh, have an appetite to learn and grow as much as humanly possible. So I think the culture of this is my time when I'm young to yeah. take a shot to learn and to grow, yeah. that really cultivated a really wonderful uh, professional ambition. Yeah, you know what? It gave you that safety net. Like, you know, okay, you don't make it. They didn't make you feel like to play it safe. And that's so important because you needed that. I mean, it's amazing because to be, some people find it out in life, you know, they don't have that safety net, but what a bonus, right? To be able to go, Hey, give it a shot. Oh, well, that didn't work. Try it again. Yeah. uh, I I think um, a lot of people, when they ask me, Justin, what if next gen fails? Like, what are you going to do? 
I think it's less about having a backup plan as in, oh, I'll go get this job or I'll, I'll, I'll pursue this course. But rather, if I work really hard every day to learn and get better, my backup plan will be by the time the project is over, win or lose, I will have grown, I will have learned, and I'll be a really amazing entrepreneur compared yeah. to when I was starting out. That's the backup plan is just getting better. I, I can't even imagine people, people really do ask you that. Well, what if it doesn't work out? What will you do? <laughs> You know, I think now now that I'm pretty serious about doing this after college and we've hired a team, the questions definitely have come down. But when I was getting started, I actually didn't go to school right away. I, after high school, took some time off to work on the project. And that definitely received some uh, apprehension. Oh, I love that. So how much, how much time did you take off? So I took a gap year. Before I even applied to college, I told my parents, I said, hey, I want to take a year off. They said, why? And I said, frankly, I'm not sure. Uh, I just knew I had this uh, energy, this excitement. I wanted to figure it out. I wanted to find a project that I could throw myself at. I didn't know what it was, but I knew I needed time. And then I got into my dream school, a school that I'm here now, so grateful to be at the Wharton School at Penn. Um, But it was really hard to be able to say, no, I'm actually not going to go right away. Uh, But I made that decision really early. So it left me about 18 months from the time I got in to the time I went of pure runway to try projects and explore and fail and experiment to to figure it out. So how'd you come up with the brainstorm though? Because I know your partner in crime is Dylan. Like, how did you come up with it? Dylan's a rock star. He loves you too, Sandy. Um, we uh, got started with a different project. <laughs> we got a next-gen fan club for you. <laughs> when we were getting started, it wasn't uh, next-gen. We were working in a different project, doing a couple of other things. And the hunger that I told you about a minute ago, that I wanted to just meet other people who were doing what we were doing, sparked our first idea, which is, okay, we're running this other company, we're thinking about other entrepreneurial ideas. But what if, in addition to all of them, we host one event, we host an event that would bring together really talented young entrepreneurs and older, more experienced veteran entrepreneurs to learn, collaborate and be inspired for a weekend. We didn't have a plan for a community or a business hub as we uh, implemented years later. We just knew we wanted to surround ourselves with really brilliant people. And that first event was in uh, July of 2015 in Austin, Texas. It was Next Gen Summit 1. And that uh, propelled us into a new world. We realized the opportunity. And then we just started saying yes uh, as we got more excited and started to see some momentum picking up. All right, so I'm I'm making notes for people, all right? And I'm going to start big. Big thing you just said, you want to surround yourself with really brilliant people. I love that. That was the big thing. Okay, now let's back up a little bit, Justin. What the freak were you like in high school, all right? (laughs) Let's talk about that. Uh, Sandy, I was a typical overachiever. I was in every club. I was the president of the school. I was really trying to do just about everything I could get my hands on. Um, But a really formative uh, experience was my family struggled through the financial crisis, um, which was pretty tough. And I think from a really young age, I was woken up to this isn't all, you know, games and play. Uh, It's really important to take care of yourself and, and, and build a, and build a foundation and build equity in something. So I I think I had a a wake up call pretty early in, in life that inspired me to try to do more. 
um, I realized that there was no safety. There's no guaranteed path if you don't take control of your own life. And so even though I, I was a really typical high school student, I had a bit of a fire that was brewing yeah. that I had to take control of my own life and really go for it. So would you consider your high school years, were they fun? Because most people are like, it sounds like you had a blast. I did love high school. <laughs> I really loved high school. I also loved college. Um, but I wasn't, uh, uh, at, at the beginning of high school, I thought I was going to go be an investment banker on Wall Street and just try to make as much money as I possibly could. That was my path for a really long time. Um, I saw my my pop struggle. I saw my family struggle. And I said, let me just go um, get, get this money thing out of the way. Let me go make as much as I can. Um, and uh, that was cool. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but uh, then around my junior year, I started to be exposed to a lot of new ideas about entrepreneurship, about the general concept of designing a really amazing life, about um, what am I uh, intrinsically interested in? Just all these amazing new ideas that led to a, a mindset shift. Uh, and that culminated in me saying, okay, I have a lot I haven't figured out yet and a lot more to go. The only way I'm going to be able to figure out what I what I need and who I am is if I don't go to school right away. And if I, if I take pause yeah. and try to figure it out first. All right. So one of the questions I'm going to, th- I usually wait to the end, but I got to throw it in here right now is, you know, I do podcast on campuses now. It's, it's just called let's keep it real campus style. And some of the students at temple wanted to say to you, do you feel that you get a bum rap or people get a bum rap about millennials or the younger generation. I don't even know if that's your age group because I get so confused with the, you know, initials. Is that, yeah. Because they feel that teachers are constantly saying, you know, you millennials are, you know, soft. Lazy, lazy. and entitled. Yeah. And yeah. Off. Oh, you hear that? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I hear that a lot. I heard that a lot when I was getting started. Um, but I, I knew that I wasn't I didn't self-define in those areas. So while I was hearing that a lot, then I tried to say, all right, well, maybe there are people who don't fit that definition. Okay. So I started hunting and then I started exposing myself to people who were the exact opposite of that. 19, 20, 21 year olds who were game changers, raising millions of dollars, selling companies, inventing scientific, you know, cures, just doing these amazing things. So I, I think there are millennials, just like there are uh, baby boomers that are you know, soft and entitled and lazy. And there are millennials and just like there are baby boomers who are ferocious and ambitious and yeah. kind. So you don't think it's a cultural thing. You just think there's, you know, people in every group that are both ways. Yeah, exactly. And and there, the thing about millennials, though, is the top of the curve, the folks who are going to not uh, be defined by those uh, characteristics, but rather are excited by who their position. Millennials, because of technology, um, have the potential to create more change and have more impact than, in, I believe, any other generation before them. I agree. So I agree. there are young people who are grabbing that by the horns and yeah. saying, all right, let's do this. You know, I think it's like every generation, Justin, you get a few people and you, unfortunately, it's just like every prejudice. And then you, you know, a few people come in, you know, like, for example, you know, a business owner, they'll interview and you'll think, oh, my God, you got to be kidding me. And then you get blown in and out of proportion. And you're like, oh, millennials are this way. And let me tell you something. I was at uh, an event a few months ago and it was all entrepreneurs and they were baby boomers. And I was sitting there in a group of 250 And they said, what's your number one concern? And they raised their hand and it was like their interns. 
and all millennials and they're like, they're lazy, they're entitled, blah, 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 blah. So, you know, I had to be the outlier. I stood up and I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. I go, Mm -hmm. the young people that work for me, they blow me away every day. Like, I feel like I learned something new and I don't even understand what you're talking about. I think sometimes just like everybody, you know, two things, one person is that way and you put them in a group or you kind of blame others for your weaknesses or the reason your business isn't getting off ground. But I was blown away. So that's why I wanted to ask you, because if you hear it too, because you're such an amazing entrepreneur, I'm thinking, what are they talking about? Yeah. Well, I I appreciate that, Sandy. But I I think that you bring up a really interesting point where a lot of millennials maybe do get themselves into trouble is they hear these, you know, definitions of them and then they become disenfranchised and think I could do it all. I know everything. Uh, I'm I'm the king or I'm the queen. That's a huge pitfall. The thing that the, what I realized the most inspiring millennials know is that they don't know everything. And there's a lot that they can learn from someone who's been in business for probably decades more than they longer than they've been good alive. Point, good point. Number two, let me put that down. Yeah, you're right because they get so mad and they get their backs up in the air. But the truth is they, you know, they still have a lot to learn. We all have to learn. We all have to learn to deal with this new thing that could be a great tool and also our biggest derailer. Um, and we have to find ways to, to manage that. I, I find so many of my friends are just not really present. Um, and in the business world, that's not going to fly and that's not going to help you succeed. So then let's go to the next question as far as business. When you're sitting at a business meeting, no matter what, you don't answer texts or emails? I put my, When I get to work every day, I put my phone face down on my desk. It's in do not disturb. And I do not answer texts basically the whole day or calls for that matter. I don't answer calls for the whole day. Uh, I have Slack up. So um, my, everyone who has me on Slack is my team. So if my team needs me, um, that they'll be slacking me and I'll be able to communicate with them. I don't check email for most of the day. I have a couple of blocks during the day when I, when I check email and, and go through everything. And then if someone needs to reach me, they know to call my cell at least twice in a row because that'll ring through do not disturb. So let's say my family, they know that and my partner knows that. Okay. But other than that, I really try to uh, wait until about 7 p.m. or maybe the day is wrapping up for me to go through my inbox, go through my texts that have built up throughout the day. And I find that, to be honest, I really didn't miss that much. And it's really fast to catch up. And the things that I did miss, um, it's it's not the end of the world. I also think if even if I miss something that's really important, I'd rather miss that but be present with the rest of the day and really be working and building and not just checking my email the whole time. Okay. Okay. So let's back up there. Cause this is a big thing and I've heard it before and this is major. So let's go through it. You're at work. You don't just answer your emails as they pop up, even for work, you block out times. Yeah. So Tim Ferriss was the one who I first learned this from. He said, um, so if you just if you answer email and you're someone who gets a lot of email like all of us, yes. what you can you what you fall into the trap of is that you go to work, you open your inbox, you start answering emails, and because so many people are emailing you, so many things are being added to your to do list, you spend the whole day answering emails. Correct. So it's six p.m. You've worked a really long day. You feel like you've done so much and you've accomplished nothing because all you did was just get back to people or push out uh, things that people added to your to do list. An inbox is basically an invitation for anyone in the world to add something to your to-do list, which I think is pretty wild. 
So instead, what I'll do is early in the morning, I'll clear out my inbox. I'll get to everyone. Yep. And then maybe once or twice, I'll scan it, make sure there's nothing really urgent. Yeah. But I'll try to work throughout the day on the things that I really need to get done versus just checking my inbox. And then I'll wait till the end of the day to answer everything else. I like that. I love that. Because I get slammed and criticized, just so you know, Justin, because I don't keep my phone on. I mean, I don't. I just don't. My friends are like, you don't love us. I'm like, yeah. I love you, but not that much, but I do the same thing. Um, Unless it's corresponding, you know, with my team, you know, going back and forth because we're working on a project. I feel that it distracts me from my creativity and what I'm really working on, you know, but I answer every email, every voicemail, every text within 24 hours. It's just not. I agree with that. I think that's important. You don't want to be be someone who says, I'm so busy, I'm never going to get back to you. I, I really love that, Sandy. I try to do the same thing. If, at least uh, once a day, even if you email me, you, you shouldn't wait more than 24 hours. I'm not that yeah. busy where I can't get yeah. back. And you know what? Let me tell you something. I'm the same with you. Even when I came up, I was very fortunate to have so many amazing mentors. And I just surrounded myself with them and I absorbed all their knowledge. And because they knew that I respected their time and energy. They just wanted to help me. They wanted to see me succeed. And a lot of what I have is just because of these amazing, wonderful, successful people. But the biggest thing, and we're talking huge CFOs of billion dollar companies, they get back to every single person, every single person within 24 hours. Now, if it's somebody they don't know that's asking for something, they will say, and I love this, listen, I'm answering this email, but after this, I'm sending you this direction. I won't answer your emails. Do you know what I mean? But even if it's a short sentence, wow. it, it's, and all of them do that. I'm surrounded by, and we're talking so many companies, you make your head spin. What bothers me is like you said, people that don't even reply to you that you're trying to get a meeting with or a time with, and they'll be like, you don't understand. I'm so busy. And I just go, Okay. And I just go on to the next person. Do you know what I mean? Because I don't understand. Yeah, I think at that time, it, it, it's so much better to say, this is not something I'm really interested in right now, or this is not in my scope of priorities right now. Here's a potential resource. Yeah. Then saying I'm too busy. Yeah, I try to catch myself if I'm ever saying that. Because yeah, number yeah. one. You just put them in another direction. Sorry, I can't help you. Hope this works out. Or I just had somebody, one of the best Oh, I love him too. You know him. That's why I'm mentioning him, Wayne Kimmel. He will get back to everyone. And even if he'll, like, I'll have a question for him. He'll say, hey, Sian, I'm going out of town this week and that next week. Let's get up on three weeks from now. I mean, come on. Mm. That's amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. All right. So now, Justin, let's talk about your personal life. Do you have time for one? That was my third (laughs) Do you get Go out, date, whatever, or is it just business, business, and now and then you get together with friends? Yeah, Sandy, as we were joking about before the call, I I think for a long time I tried to compartmentalize my life. I had my work life that was really separate from my personal life, from school. Um, And I did that because I wanted to be taken seriously as an entrepreneur. I didn't want anyone to think, oh, I'm a student entrepreneur. I'm just this kid working on something. Yeah. But as I grew and I got more serious about my projects, I realized that maybe I was doing a disservice to to the rest of my life that really is 
pretty great. And that does contribute a lot to, to who I am and, and the leader that I am. So uh, I have now kind of switched that a little bit. Um, so I, I'm a student. I am a senior here at Wharton. I am getting uh, my undergraduate degree in May. So really excited to be finishing off. I had a, did a 180 on school. I used to not be uh, very into going to class. And now I'm the exact opposite. I go to everyone. I'm just so grateful to be here and trying to learn everything. Um and I have a really wonderful family. I try to see a lot, a great group of friends here at school. I'm in a fraternity even. Um, so I'm trying to do it all, which is really, really hard. But I want to I want to um, experience what college has to experience for me. And even if that means I'm not getting as much sleep as I need to, I'll try to be good about it. But um, I, I think this is a time in my life where I just want to take it all. Yeah, I don't, I don't blame you. You know, I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that you're having some fun and it's not just – all work and you can balance it out. All right. So let's talk about the fourth question I have here. Do you really need to do a full business plan to raise money and how much time do you spend on it? Like as far as projections and you know, profit and loss sheets, like do you, and where do you go for guidance? Yeah, I think that um, while venture capital funding is incredible and does a lot for really mature businesses, because it's all over the news and it's all over social media and and writers are really celebritizing founders, everyone thinks it's the only solution. Um, if you're going for, for venture capital funding from an institution, you're going to need a really built out business plan. You're going to need financial productions. You're going to need an idea. But if you're just getting started with a small business that you think may you may want to focus on or take off, I would recommend not trying to raise any money. You don't need the full business plan and instead just try to use enough revenue from your business through the strategies I was just talking about to get started, something that's available now earlier than ever. And if if that doesn't work, if you can't generate the money because the demand isn't there, well, maybe it says something about what you're trying to sell on the product market fit. Yeah. I I was wondering that because, you know, same thing when I started my businesses, you know, most of it was, you know, from money I had and I did raise a little, but it was just because my mentors wanted to help me and it was such a small amount. They they were just saying, you know, saying, we just want to see you succeed and use our name. Like one of my big mentors was Ed Snyder who just passed away, but you know, he just gave me a little bit because I wasn't getting indoors, you know, it was like 8% so I could open doors. But he said, Sandy, you don't need to give away your business necessarily. You know, mm-hmm. like just, you know, hook yourself up by your bootstraps and put it all on the line. And, and that's what I did. And so lately though, like, I don't understand. All I see is venture capital, venture capital, venture. So why is that? Yeah, it's because it's sexier. Um, it's way easier in a lot of ways, at least people think, um, than it is to bootstrap. Bootstrapping isn't sexy and it's not going to get you on the cover of Forbes for bootstrapping. But you know who really wins in the end? The bootstrapped entrepreneur who owns most of their company and then has a big business as opposed to a venture financed founder who owns like 3% of their company, even if it's really, really large. So the path is different for everyone. Yeah. Venture capital is important. It's what we're now, we're now currently raising around yeah. that is going to have some institutional money in it. But it's all it's all at different stages and for different types of businesses. Right. Not it's every business all be all. Yeah, exactly. All right. So can you explain what it means by having this is your first round, this is your second round of raising venture capital because I'm even a little confused. Yeah, so I think that we'll take any business, um, you'll try to bootstrap, which is not raise any money and, and use 
current revenues yeah. or maybe some debt from credit cards or a bank or wherever you can get it from to get your business going. And once your business is at a, a good enough level where an investor may see a fit, then you can raise money. Yeah. Now, raising venture capital is also taking place in a lot of different shapes. You can raise venture debt. You can raise equity, which is selling, let's say, like you see on Shark Tank, percentages of your company or shares in your company. There are a lot of different tools available now, like the SAFE, which is a, a, a bit simpler, but there are a lot of different ways to, to do it. Um, and then you raise a round and you put money into the company. And that, com- that money you use to grow and reach a milestone. And then now, more than, more than ever, if your business is doing well and you see that that money worked to get you to a milestone, you may then go raise a larger round increase the valuation of your company and use that second round to then reach a a new milestone and keep doing that until you hopefully sell the company, the larger company or IPO and go public on the markets. Gave more than anyone in a while, like so many valuable tools for people to use. So I really, really appreciate you sharing that knowledge. But what about your book? What's it about? What wakes you up? I want to know what it's about and get it. (laughs) Sandy, I'm looking forward to being back. You have this amazing energy that inspires so many young people. So I I so appreciate what you're doing to lift up the next generation. I look forward to being back. The book, What Wakes You Up, was my journey to talk to entrepreneurs who got up every morning really just excited about the work that they were doing and my belief that you don't have to settle for the status quo where you hate your job like most people in the world do. In fact, 81% of people are actively disengaged from work. Instead, I think there is a way, um, even if it's hard or uncommon, to do work that you really love and are getting excited about. So published the book when I was a freshman here uh, at Penn. It was really, really exciting, and um, I would love for you to read it. I'm going to. All right. Anything you want to say in the last minute that I didn't get in, Justin? The big thing I, I think is entrepreneurs need a community and we have a free community for young entrepreneurs to get involved with at NG Summit, like a mountain next gen summit. Google it, search it on Facebook, find us and get involved in our community. Young people need to share their journey with others to inspire When's them. When's your next big event? We're hosting Next Gen Summit 5, which is our flagship event, our fifth year in June in this near in New York City. Really, really so All right, Justin, it was so much fun. And as always, I tell you, I learned more from you than I even thought possible. I love it. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing for everybody. Go have fun. All right. Until next time, let's keep it real and share your knowledge in a positive way. Thanks for listening. Be sure to share and subscribe if you enjoyed the show. And remember, keep spreading the positive.